Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our audiobook series on the Dead Sea Scrolls, reading the translation and theologically evaluating it from a Lutheran lens. Because in between our five times a day praying in the direction of Concordia Theological Seminary for the destruction of Disney and the abolishing of Elka, here we are studying to understand the roots of our faith and to find out whether, well, did the Dead Sea Scrolls really play a role in that? And are they really worth the, uh, the big rep, the great reputation that they have that people give? They puff them up, whether they're conspiracy theorists trying to say Jesus was a twice-married weirdo with four kids and James was the real preacher of righteousness. Or it's the Tubingen school style weirdos that think it was uh, St. Paul versus St. James or anything else. Or people saying that, well, no, Dead Sea Scrolls really gives us the real answer that we're actually children made out of the blood of Babylonian gods. Well, we need to sit there and actually read these things and find out whether or not that's true. So last week we read the community rule for how this ascetic community in Qumran was organized, and we found that it was bad. <laughs> they were a, apparently a LARPing group of Hebrews uh, that were trying to recreate Israel in miniature, including having some guys claim themselves to be priests, while having a standard of perfection in behavior that even the smallest deviation from, including spitting on the ground in a way that somebody didn't like, led to a year of not getting to eat at the table. So, today we're going to read the Damascus document, which comes right after. Uh, you know, typically if you get yourself an English translation of the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's not like in the order that they found them. It's, uh, well, it's by topic that it's organized. They take all the topics that they can find and go from there so you understand how the community worked then you go to their liturgies you find how they worshiped then you go to their uh, their weird crazy fan fiction collection and you read that to see what they believed that was not standard then you go to their um, attempts at biblical interpretation in their mutilation of the text of holy scripture to find okay well what were these people if we did this in order of every single fragment, we'd probably be sorely confused. So today we're going to get into the Damascus document, called so because there's a little bit more theological background in what they had to say and why they did what they did. So we're going to analyze their argument and see what happens. So let's uh, get our little cigarillo here lit up mm -mm -mm. and read, starting with the exhortation, and if anybody is looking up the actual fragments here, it's uh, 4Q265 through 273, 5Q12, and 6Q15, the Damascus document. Mm. Starting with the exhortation. Listen now, all you who know righteousness, and consider the works of God, for he has a dispute with all flesh and will condemn all those who despise him. For when they were unfaithful and forsook him, he hid his face from Israel and his sanctuary and delivered them up to the sword. But remembering the covenant of the forefathers, he left a remnant to Israel and did not deliver it up to be destroyed. And in the age of wrath, 390 years after he had given them into the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he visited them. And he caused a plant root to spring from Israel and Aaron, 
to inherit his land and to prosper on the good things of his earth. And they perceived their iniquity and recognized that they were guilty men, yet for twenty years they were like blind men groping for the way. And God observed their deeds, that they sought him with a whole heart, and he raised for them a teacher of righteousness to guide them in the way of his heart. So we're going to pause right there. When he says um, <clears throat> that it was 390 years after he had given them into the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, uh, the actual date of the Babylonian exile is approximately 586 BC, I believe. I know it started in 606. But the completion of that exile, when the children of Judah were actually taken out, was about 586, and it ended in 539. So if you take 390 years later, you're talking about the time of the Maccabean Revolt. So this, uh, this author here of the Damascus document, I honestly wish they would just say something directly. I shouldn't have to play detective to hear, yeah, so God let us be an independent country again after the uh, Persian Empire fell and then we rebelled against the Greeks under Judas Maccabeus. Can we have that? Can you, can, can you guys just say that or do they have to really make it so stinking wordy? I don't know, maybe they're trying to make it sound like a, an eternal document here. Or maybe they perceived that in their eyes they were writing something on par with scripture. But... Now we get into the teacher of righteousness idea. And let's, uh, let's read what he has to say. We'll restart that paragraph. And God observed their deeds, that they sought him with a whole heart. And he raised for them a teacher of righteousness to guide them in the way of his heart. And he made known to the latter generations that which God had done to the latter generation, the congregation of traitors to those who departed from the way. This was the time of which it is written, like a stubborn heifer, thus was Israel stubborn. Hosea 4, verse 16. Um, that's probably not what Hosea was talking about. But they want to draw a parallel. When, he, when they say the congregation of traitors, historically speaking, they're probably bringing up the uh, the Hellenizers, the Jews that were trying to uh, go along with what Antiochus Epiphanes wanted in a general program of Hellenization in the land of Judea. Am I 100% certain of that? No. But that's the reason we're not 100% certain here is because of how wordy and opaque and cryptic all of this is. Hopefully, we'll get more detail. Continuing on. Uh, like a stubborn, stubborn heifer, thus was Israel stubborn, Hosea 4.16, when the scoffer arose who shed over Israel the water of lies. He caused them to wander in a pathless wilderness, laying low the everlasting heights, abolishing the way of righteousness and removing the boundary with which the forefathers had marked out their inheritance. Then he might call down on them the curses of his covenant, capital H, his covenant, and deliver them up to the avenging sword of the covenant. For they sought smooth things and preferred illusions, Isaiah 30, verse 10. And they watched for breaks, Isaiah 30, verse 13, and chose the fair neck. And they justified the wicked and condemned the just, and they transgressed the covenant and violated the precept. They banded together against the life of the righteous, and loathed all who walked in perfection. 
They pursued them with the sword and exulted in the strife of the people. And the anger of God was kindled against their congregation, so that he ravaged all their multitude, and their deeds were defilement before him. Hear now, all you who enter the covenant, and I will unstop your ears concerning the ways of the wicked. So we can already tell a big difference here between the community rule and the Damascus document. The Damascus document is getting into some history here in so many words in order to explain the basis for what they are doing, why this community is together. And, well, it seems to me that they're trying to refer to the the Hellenizers and the Hellenizer priests that uh, Antiochus Epiphanes put over the temple in Jerusalem. Which would, of course, because of the impurity of the worship, call on the uh, Deuteronomic curses that everybody feared. But we continue on. There's, again, more of a foundational understanding in this document. God loves knowledge. Wisdom and understanding he has set before him, and prudence and knowledge serve him. Patience and much forgiveness are with him toward those who turn from transgression. But power, might, and great flaming wrath by the hand of all the angels of destruction towards those who depart from the way and abhor the precept. They shall have no remnant or survivor. Hold on. And sorry for that interruption there. If you hear clicking and stuff like that, I'm busy out and about, maybe having to answer the doorbell, uh, switching loads and laundry, etc., etc. But continuing on, they shall have no remnant or survivor. For from the beginning God chose them not. He knew their deeds before they and before ever they were created, and he hated their generations, and he hid his face from the land until they were consumed. For he knew the years of their coming and the length and exact duration of their times for all ages to come and throughout eternity. He knew the happenings of their times throughout all the everlasting years. And in all of them he raised for himself men called by name that a remnant might be left to the land and that the face of the earth might be filled with their seed. And he made known his Holy Spirit to them by the hand of his anointed ones. And he proclaimed the truth to them, but those whom he hated he led astray. So some of that... Um, what I called earlier, like, hyper-super-duper Calvinism there, starting to peek through. Uh, and what you get at here is that they have this idea that God's omniscience leads God to uh, knowing the deeds of these wicked men, thus take steps to punish and destroy them, or even lead them astray to speed up the process. Um earlier, again, I, I do believe this is accusing God of being the author of evil because the Qumran community here is going so far as to say that God had a hand in causing them to do evil, which is not biblical in the slightest, but these guys didn't have the New Testament. Maybe just a tiny bit of grace can be shown to them there. But continuing on, hear now my sons and I will uncover your eyes that you may see and understand the works of God that you may choose that which pleases him and reject that which he hates, that you may walk perfectly in all his ways and not follow after thoughts of the guilty inclination and after eyes of lust. For through them great men have gone astray and mighty heroes have stumbled from the former times till now. Because they walked in the stubbornness of their heart, the heavenly watchers fell. They were caught, so, sorry, they were caught because they did not keep the commandments of God 
and their sons also fell who were tall as cedar trees and whose bodies were like mountains. All flesh on dry land perished. They were as though they had never been because they did their own will and did not keep the commandment of their maker so that his wrath was kindled against them. So we're getting into an idea here. When we hear the heavenly watchers and their sons that were tall as cedar trees, we are getting into Enochian theology here. Taking the book of Enoch, considering it scripture, and uh, using it to develop a theology around that. Something that the Bible, you never really hear the Bible talk about Enoch's uh, narrative concerning watchers, but I believe that a copy of Enoch is in the Dead Sea Scrolls. We will get to it when we, uh, when we get to it, and we'll talk about that. But this does tell us that they believe in a kind of um, super-duper Calvinism, beyond what most Calvinists would be willing to, to say or admit, but they are also putting in and inserting Enoch's narrative into their theology. I'm just going to tell you right now, that's kind of a no-no there. But continuing on. Through it, the children of Noah went astray together with their kin and were cut off. Abraham did not walk in it, and he was accounted a friend of God because he kept the commandments of God and did not choose his own will. And he handed them down to Isaac and Jacob, who kept them and were recorded as friends of God and party to the covenant forever. The children of Jacob strayed through them and were punished in accordance with their error. And their sons in Egypt walked in the stubbornness of their hearts, conspiring against the commandments of God, and each of them doing that which seemed right in his own eyes. They ate blood, and he cut off their males in the wilderness. And at Kadesh he said to them, Go up and possess the land, Deuteronomy 9, verse 23. But they chose their own will and did not heed the voice of their maker, the commands of their teacher, but murmured in their tents. And the anger of God was kindled against their congregation. Through it their sons perished, and through it their kings were cut off. Through it their mighty heroes perished, and through it their land was ravaged. Through it the first members of the covenant sinned and were delivered up to the sword because they forsook the covenant of God and chose their own will and walked in the stubbornness of their hearts, each of them doing his own will. Now when we hear stubbornness of their hearts, that phrase that gets repeated so many times in the community rule and in here, it's it's almost like they're trying to bring constant parallels between the, uh, the Pentateuch and hearing that the children of Israel were a stiff-necked people and trying to put that as, well, if we have this natural inclination, we have to obsessively fight against it. So they're always talking about it. It's a stubborn, uh, self-willed idea here. But we keep reading. But with the remnant which held fast to the commandments of God, he made his covenant with Israel forever, revealing to them the hidden things in which all Israel had gone astray. He unfolded before them his holy Sabbaths and his glorious feasts, the testimonies of his righteousness and the ways of his truth, and the desires of his will which a man must do in order to live. And they dug a well rich in water, and he who despises it shall not live. Yet they wallowed in the sin of man and in ways of uncleanness, and they said, This is our way. But God, in his wonderful mysteries, forgave them their sin and pardoned their wickedness. And he built them a sure house in Israel, whose like has never existed from former times till now. Those who hold fast to it are destined to live forever, and all the glory of Adam shall be theirs. 
as God ordained for them by the hand of the prophet Ezekiel, saying, The priests, the Levites, and the sons of Zadok, who kept the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel strayed from me, they shall offer me fat and blood. That is Isaiah 44, verse 15. Um, Ezekiel 44, verse 15. Now, keep in mind, though, that this is Ezekiel's temple, which, because it includes sin offerings, cannot be a real thing. Ezekiel is not describing a temple that actually will exist because such a temple would be an abomination before the Lord. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, makes it plain there is no more sacrifice for sin, period. End of story. Jesus was the guilt offering, the atonement forever. And all of the uh, Levitical laws, all of the feast days, everything was pointing to Christ. Now, does the Qumran community have the luxury of understanding this? Were they living in New Testament times when they were writing things like the Damascus document? Well, even if they did for a while before their eventual extinction as a group, they didn't for the most of their history. For the most part, they didn't know this, so they were thinking of Ezekiel's temple as something that is 100% just a physical prophecy. But chances are that just means they weren't reading the text of Scripture closely enough. At some point, maybe I'll do an episode of the Very Lutheran Project uh, with just talking about Ezekiel's temple here. But uh, keep in mind, though, it's also interesting that their theology here regarding the law, it says in uh, the line 14 here, he unfolded before them his holy Sabbaths and his glorious feasts, as though they were secrets that needed to be revealed. Which tells us that the Qumran community sees God's law properly, kind of, as the eternal will of God for mankind. Which means that every single one of the laws, according to them, were something that God wanted all men to be following at least his covenant people. But here's the thing with that is, I would, I would say that the law, when it comes to capital L law, that's the Ten Commandments. That is God's will for mankind. That is the eternal ethic of the Christian. What the Qumran community sees as God revealing as though it were secret to be eternal laws for people, the feast days, the sacrifices, everything like that, really is the applicable to Israel. Martin Luther said, yeah, this is the civic law and the ceremonial law were just for Israel. They were uh, the picture of a good government before God. And they were, uh, especially in regarding the ceremonial law, they were kind of like announcement posters, you know, coming soon posters for Jesus. All of those feast days, all of the sacrifices were supposed to be foreshadowing or types of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Qumran community, obviously, again, they were before the advent of Christianity. But in the middle of this, we, we can't forget that there were good observant believers before the advent of Christianity that probably would have disagreed with the Qumran community about the exact nature of this ceremonial and civic law. But in addition to that, there's another problem, is that these guys are not 
actually descendants from the priesthood. They talk up the priests and stuff. Are we going to see maybe a reason why they believe that there's a legitimate priesthood among them in spite of them not being really a part of the whole Jerusalem temple sacrificial system? Let's find out. The priests are the converts of Israel who departed from the land of Judah, and the Levites are those who joined them. The sons of Zadok are the elect of Israel, the men called by name who shall stand at the end of days. Behold the exact list of their names according to their generations, and the time when they lived, and the number of their trials, and the years of their sojourn, and the exact list of their deeds. And you know the text here puts a dot, 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 and ellipses. And I, I assume <clears throat> that it's not because the text is fragmentary so much as it's because it's boring. And it's also kind of just pulling stuff straight out of their butt. The priests are the converts of Israel who departed from the land of Judah. The Levites are those who... Are they redefining priest and Levite in a son of Zadok? You know, which was a hereditary thing. Are they just redefining it to say that they're priests? Now, it's one thing to say that we Gentiles are grafted in to Israel because that's what the Bible says. Because God put his stamp of approval on the new uh, dispensation, if you will, uh, the new economy of Israel, God's Israel. What does this community, this Qumran community, have in terms of authority to make such a declaration? Well, anyway, <clears throat> continuing on. They were the first men of holiness whom God forgave and who justified the righteous and condemned the wicked. And until the age is completed, according to the number of those years, all who enter after them shall do according to the, that interpretation of the law in which the first men were instructed. According to the covenant which God made with the forefathers, forgiving all their sins, so shall he forgive their sins also. But when the age is completed, according to the number of those years, there shall be no more joining the house of Judah, but each man shall stand on his watchtower. The wall is built, the boundary far removed. Micah 7 verse 11. During all those years, Belial shall be unleashed against Israel, as he spoke by the hand of Isaiah, son of Amos, saying, Terror and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the land. Isaiah 24, verse 17. Now again, we can forgive them for their loose references to scripture. It's not necessarily them building a systematic theology here. It seems like they're trying to say, oh, it's just like it was when Isaiah said X, Y, and Z thing. The problem, though, is that they keep taping together uh, all these different references saying, oh, it's just like this. Oh, it's just like that in our circumstances. And they're kind of building a theology out of it without ever saying, oh, yes, because this scripture says this, this is the interpretation of that prophecy. Speaking of interpretation, we continue on. Interpreted. <laughs> terror and the pit and the snare interpreted these are the three nets of belial with which levi son of jacob said that he catches israel by setting them up as three kinds of righteousness the first is fornication the second is riches and the third is profanation of the temple whoever escapes the first is caught in the second and whoever saves himself from the second is caught in the third isaiah 24 18 the builders of the wall, Ezekiel 13.10, who have followed after precept, 
precept is a spouter of whom it was written, they shall surely spout Micah 2 verse 6. Shall be caught in fornication twice by taking a second wife while the first is alive, whereas the principle of creation is male and female created he them. Oh, interesting. Caught in fornication twice because the guy's a polygamist and they're against polygamy. But caught in fornication twice as in the first wife was fornication? These are some people with some extremely high standards, aren't they? But <laughs> continuing on. <clears throat> Whereas the principle of creation is male and female, created he them. Also, those who entered the ark went in two by two. And concerning the prince, it is written, he shall not multiply wives to himself. Deuteronomy 17, verse 17. Come here, cat. But David had not read the sealed book of the law, which was in the Ark of the Covenant, for it was not open in Israel from the death of Eliezer and Joshua and the elders who worshipped Ashtoreth. It was hidden and was not revealed until the coming of Zadok and the deeds of David rose up except for the murder of Uriah and God left them to him. Uh, moreover, they profane the temple because they do not observe the distinction between clean and unclean in accordance with the law, but lie with a woman who sees her bloody discharge. Well, that's, that's pretty nasty, isn't it? And each man marries the daughter of his brother or sister, whereas Moses said, You shall not approach your mother's sister. She is your mother's near kin. Leviticus 18 verse 13. But although the laws against incest are written for men, they also apply to women. When, therefore, a brother's daughter uncovers the nakedness of her father's brother, she is also his near kin. Furthermore, they defile their holy spirit and open their mouth with a blaspheming tongue against the laws of the covenant of God, saying, They are not sure. They speak abominations concerning them. They are all kindlers of fire and lighters of brands. Isaiah 111, uh, 50 verse 11. Their webs are spiders' webs, and their eggs are vipers' eggs. Isaiah 59, verse 5. No man that approaches them shall be free from guilt. The more he does so, the guiltier shall he be, unless he is pressed. For already in ancient times God visited their deeds, and his anger was kindled against their works. For it is a people of no discernment. It is a nation void of counsel, inasmuch as there is no discernment in them. For in ancient times Moses and Aaron arose by the hand of the prince of lights, and Belial and his cunning raised up Jonas and his brother when Israel was first delivered. Oh boy, so these guys are mad. They're really mad at these people, and they're willing to say that this opposing group does everything under the sun, from incest to um, laying with women during their menstrual cycle, to uh, misinterpreting the law of God or saying you can't understand it. And sure, these guys are willing to say that you're doing bad. It's one thing to say that, hey, the, the people out there in the temple are bad. Okay, you can have that criticism, but then to start saying all these things and then throwing Bible verses at the wall, seeing if something is going to stick to them, that's quite another. Their Their application of hermeneutics is, does this verse help me squish my enemies harder? Does it help me condemn them harder? If it does, I don't care about the context. I don't care who it was written to. I don't care about hermeneutic principles at all. I'm just going to throw Bible verses at these bad people that I don't like, and I'm going to call them sons of Belial because Satan. That's dumb. 
These are not biblical scholars here, even though it seems apparent that they, by all means, they have a Bible somewhere for them to quote from. It looks like they're misusing it. Let's keep reading, though, and find out. And at the time of the desolation of the land, there arose removers of the bound who led Israel astray. And the land was ravaged because they preached rebellion against the commandments of God given by the hand of Moses and of his holy anointed ones, and because they prophesied lies to turn Israel away from following God. But God remembered the covenant with the forefathers, and he raised from Aaron men of discernment and from Israel men of wisdom. And he caused them to hear, and they dug the well the well which the princes dug, which the nobles of the people delved with the stave. That's a Numbers quote, Numbers 21, verse 18. Okay. I'm not certain that any of this really applies here to their current circumstances. Um, it certainly doesn't apply to the circumstances of numbers because there weren't removers of the bound, you know, the boundary line of a property to lead Israel astray in the book of Numbers. There were people like the Midianites under Balaam, son of Beor, who um, sent in a bunch of like, you know, hookers and Moabite and Midianite women to go sleep with the sons of Israel and get them into Baal worship. So they're, again, they're just finding whatever would stick. They're finding whatever verse they can get to attack their enemies and write this kind of polemic hyper-invective against them. Oh, but it gets worse. Let's see what they mean by the well. The well is the law, and those who dug it were the converts of Israel who went out of the land of Judah to sojourn in the land of Damascus. <laughs> Us! <laughs> How convenient! Moses was writing about the, uh, the Damascus people out there and their slice of the Qumran community. God called them all princes because they sought him and their renown was disputed by no man. This stave is the interpreter of the law, of whom Isaiah said he makes a tool for his work. Isaiah uh, 54 verse 16, And the nobles of the people are those who come to dig the well with the staves with which the stave ordained that they should walk in all the age of wickedness. And without them they shall find nothing until he comes who shall teach righteousness at the end of days. None of those brought into the covenant shall enter the temple to light his altar in vain. They shall bar the door. For as much as God said, who among you will bar its door? And you shall not light my altar in vain. Malachi 1 verse 10. Okay. They shall take care to act according to the exact interpretation of the law during the age of wickedness. They shall separate from the sons of the pit and shall keep away from the unclean riches of wickedness acquired by vow or anathema or from the temple treasure. They shall not rob the poor of his people to make widows their prey and of the fatherless their victim. They shall distinguish between clean and unclean, and shall proclaim the difference between holy and profane. They shall keep the Sabbath day according to its exact interpretation, and the feasts and the day of fasting according to the finding of the members of the new covenant in the land of Damascus. They shall set aside the holy things according to the exact teaching concerning them. They shall love each man his brother as himself. They shall succor the poor, the needy, and the stranger. A man shall seek his brother's well-being, and shall not sin against his near kin. 
They shall keep from fornication according to the statute. They shall rebuke each man his brother according to the commandment, and shall bear no rancor from one day to the next. They shall keep apart from every uncleanness according to the statutes relating to each one, and no man shall defile his holy spirit, since God has set them apart. For all who walk in these precepts in perfect holiness, according to all the teaching of God, the covenant of God shall be an assurance that they shall live for thousands of generations. Um, funny here, guys, that they are trusting in the law to live for thousands of generations. And they honestly believed that if they were just there, sitting in the Qumran community, obeying the law hard enough, they would all get eternal life. So I have a question for you. How many members of the Qumran community that helped write these Dead Sea Scrolls, and how many of the guys over there writing the Damascus document, how many of them are alive today? Oh, none of them? Okay, good. Glad we settled that, because you don't live forever by the law. In theory, somebody could, but we don't, because we are sinners. So, uh, point one Christianity, uh, cultists, zero points. Let's continue. Uh, manuscript B, by the way, says, as it is written, keeping the covenant and grace with those who love me and keep my commandments to a thousand generations. So maybe there's an alternate manuscript where they realized that that was an oopsie. Maybe somebody died and they went, uh-oh. And if they live in camps according to the rule of the land, uh, MSB says, as it was from ancient times, marrying according to the custom of the law and begetting children, they shall walk according to the law and according to the statute concerning binding vows according to the rule of the law which says between a man and his wife and between a father and his son numbers 3017 and all those who despise the commandments and the statutes shall be rewarded with the retribution of the wicked and when god shall visit the land when the saying shall come to pass which is written among the words of the prophet isaiah son of amos he will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house days such as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. Isaiah 7 verse 17. When the two houses of Israel were divided, Ephraim departed from Judah, and all the apostates were given up to the sword. But those who held fast escaped to the land of the north, as God said, I will exile the tabernacle of your king and the bases of your statutes from my tent to Damascus. Now, that's from Amos, Amos 5. And at this time, it's time for some Bible reading ASMR here. We're going to look at the actual context of what Amos is writing, because if they are correct, then maybe they have a point, and maybe Amos really was predicting the existence of this Damascus community here. So, let's open up our Bibles. We're going to find the book of Amos, one of the minor prophets, and we're going to go ahead and look at chapter 5. Now, he's saying it's uh, chapter 5, verses 26 and 27. And let's take a look here. <clears throat> Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sukkoth, your king, and Kiyun, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves. And I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Oh, no. It looks like they have some really goofy reading. Well, let's see. Maybe it's a different translation that they're reading off. See, it could be that maybe they're reading the Septuagint. Well, thankfully, I had a copy of the Septuagint with both the Greek and English translation texts here. So 
Let me go ahead and read, starting with verse 21 in the Septuagint translation. I hate, I reject your feast, and I will not smell your meat offerings in your general assemblies. Wherefore, if ye should bring me your whole burnt offering sacrifices and meat offerings, I will not accept them, neither will I have respect to your grand peace offering. Remove from me the sound of thy songs, and I will not hear the music of thine instrument. But let judgment roll down as water, and righteousness as an impassable torrent. Have ye offered to me victims and sacrifices, O house of Israel, forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Raphon, the images of them which ye made for yourselves. And I will carry you away beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, the Almighty God is his name. Hmm. So now let's go ahead and reread that sentence there from this Damascus document. When the two houses of Israel were divided, Ephraim departed from Judah, and all the apostates were given up to the sword, but those who held fast escaped to the land of the north. As God said, I will exile the tabernacle of your king and the bases of your statutes from my tent to Damascus. Now, again, they're saying that's Amos 5. Now, Amos 5 is about a punishment which they are saying, oh, no, the punishment was apostates and wicked people getting killed. Uh, in fact, but the real faithful guys, the good guys, oh, they got to just go up north to Damascus, which just, just so happens to be where we are. <laughs> and now we get to a problem with that I have with the Dead Sea Scrolls, because people talk about how accurate the, uh, the biblical translations they have are, and oh, look how great it is that we have all these manuscripts that are word-for-word -word accurate in so many different ways. But then you actually read how they handled the scriptures, and you find out that they were willing to just so woefully, horribly, inaccurately take everything out of context to justify their little cult community out there in the Middle East. And you're supposed to go, oh, wow, they were so deep spiritually. Let's look at them as the real arbiters of truth. No. These people are treating the Bible like they're a bunch of slimeball idiots. Like, like they don't even know how to read, but they heard somewhere that maybe the Bible said something, so they're going to write it down. Come on. But continuing on, the books of the law were the, are the tabernacle of the king, as God said. I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which is fallen. Amos 9, verse 11, the king is the congregation, and the bases of the statues are the books of the prophets whose sayings Israel despised. The star is the interpreter of the law who shall come to Damascus, as it is written. A star shall come forth out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. From uh, Numbers 24, verse 17. The scepter is the prince of the whole congregation, and when he comes, he shall smite all the children of Seth. <laughs> they're just saying so this one thing that the bible says is actually another thing and we're gonna it's all an allegory for us being super cool and and how we love god's law by the way everything we don't like is is actually a symbol for something we do like at the time of the former visitation they were saved whereas the apostates were given up to the sword and so shall it be for all the members of his covenant who do not hold steadfastly to these, the, to the curse of the precepts. They shall be visited for destruction by the hand of Belial. That shall be the day when God will visit. As he said, the princes of Judah have become like those who remove the bound. Wrath shall be poured out upon them, Hosea 5.10. For they shall hope for healing, but he will crush them. They are all of them rebels, for they have not turned from the way of traitors, but have wallowed in the ways of whoredom and wicked wealth. 
They have taken revenge and borne malice, every man against his brother, and every man has hated his fellow, and every man has sinned against his near kin, and has approached for unchastity, and has acted arrogantly for the sake of riches and gain. And every man has done that which seemed right in his eyes, and has chosen the stubbornness of his heart. They have not kept apart from the people and their sin, and have well, willfully rebelled by walking in the ways of the wicked, of whom God said, their wine is the venom of serpents, the cruel poison, or head of asps. Deuteronomy 32, verse 33. Now, okay, I get it. You don't like these uh, other fellow Hebrews here who you believe have not really followed God's will. And, and to be sure, to be frank, at that time, who was? Very few before Christ, before Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. Very, very, very few people in the midst of this bloody stalemate between good and evil were actually trying to be dedicated to God. I get that. But these people, this Qumran community, has a really goofy way of expressing that that eventually makes them just as bad as the people they claim to be, claim to be superior to. Especially, okay, so they quote Deuteronomy 32 here. Their wine is the venom of serpents, the cruel poison or head of asps. Let's see how they interpret that. The serpents are the kings of the peoples, and their wine is their ways. And the head of asps is the chief of the kings of Greece who came to wreak vengeance upon them. But all these things, the builders of the wall and those who daubed with plaster, Ezekiel 13 verse 10, have not understood because a follower of the wind, one who raised storms and rained down lies, had preached to them, Micah 2.11, against all of those of whose assembly the anger of God was kindled. And as for that which Moses said, you enter to possess these nations, not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your hearts, Deuteronomy uh, 9.5, but because God loved your fathers and kept the oath, Deuteronomy 7.8, Thus shall it be with the converts of Israel who depart from the way of the people. Because God loved the first men who testified in his favor, so will he love those who come after them, for the covenant of the fathers is there. But he hated the builders of the wall, and his anger was kindled against them and against all who followed them. And so shall it be for all who reject the commandments of God and abandon them for the stubbornness of their hearts. This is the word which Jeremiah spoke to Barak son of Neriah, which Elisha spoke to his servant Gehazi. None of the men who enter the new covenant in the land of Damascus, and who again betray it and depart from the fountain of living water, shall be reckoned with the council of the people, or inscribed in its book from the day of the gathering in of the teacher of the community until the, until the coming of the Messiah out of Aaron and Israel. And thus shall it be for every man who enters the congregation of men of perfect holiness, but faints in performing the duties of the upright. He is a man who has melted in the furnace. No second chances, guys. When his deeds are revealed, he shall be expelled from the congregation as though his lot had never fallen among the disciples of God. The men of knowledge shall rebuke him in accordance with his sin against the time when he shall stand again before the assembly of the men of perfect holiness. But when his deeds are revealed according to the interpretation of the law in which the men of perfect holiness walked, let no man defer to him with regard to money or work. For all the holy ones of the Most High have cursed him. And thus shall it be, for all among the first and the last who reject the precepts, who set idols upon their hearts and walk in the stubbornness of their hearts, they shall have no share in the house of the law. They shall be judged in the same manner as their companions were judged, who deserted to the scoffer. 
For they have spoken wrongly against the precepts of righteousness and have despised the covenant and the pact, the new covenant, which they made in the land of Damascus. Neither they nor their kin shall have any part in the house of the law. Now here's where some people go. Some people might go and say, new covenant? That's, that's Jesus talk. Because in, in, in the institution of communion, Jesus talks about the blood of the new covenant. But remember, this is probably before the New Testament was written. This is before Christ walked the earth. Most likely, the Damascus document is very contemporary with Hellenizing priests and other issues going on at that time. But in addition to that, it said, It shall be for all among the first and the last who reject the precepts, who set idols upon their heart and walk in the stubbornness of the heart. They shall have no share in the house of the law. They shall be judged in the same manner as their companions were judged who deserted to the scoffer. Now, if that is the case, if this really is an anti-Christian paragraph, uh, point two, Christians, point zero, uh, Damascus cult. Because uh, Christians are still around. And it's been 2,000 years. We're patiently waiting for Christ to return. And these people are totally extinct. So there you go on that one. From the day of the gathering in of the teacher of the community until the end of all the men of war who deserted to the liar, there shall pass about 40 years. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 2.14. And during that age, the wrath of God shall be kindled against Israel. As he said, there shall be no king, no prince, no judge, no man to rebuke with justice. Hosea 3 verse 4. But those who turn from the sin of Jacob, who keep the covenant of God, shall then speak each man to his fellow, to justify each man his brother, that their step may take the way of God. And God will heed their words and will hear, and a book of reminders shall be written before him of them that fear God and worship his name, against the time when salvation and righteousness shall be revealed to them that fear God. And then shall you distinguish once more between the just and the wicked, between the one that serves God and the one that serves him not, Malachi 3.18. And he will show loving kindness to thousands to them that love him and watch for him for a thousand generations. Exodus 20, verse 6. And every member of the house of separation who went out of the holy city and leaned on God at the time when Israel sinned and defiled the temple, but returned again to the way of the people in small matters, shall be judged according to his spirit and the counsel of holiness. But when the glory of God is made manifest to Israel, all those members of the covenant who have breached the bound of the law shall be cut off from the midst of the camp, and with them all those who condemned Judah in the days of its trials. But all those who hold fast to these precepts, going and coming in, accord in accordance with the law, who heed the voice of the teacher and confess before God, saying, Truly we have sinned, we and our fathers, by walking counter to the precepts of the covenant, thy judgments upon us are justice and truth, who do not lift their hand against his holy precepts or his righteous statutes or his true testimonies, who have learned from the former judgments by which the member of the community were judged, who have listened to the voice of the teacher of righteousness and have not despised the precepts of righteousness when they heard them, they shall rejoice and their hearts shall be strong and they shall prevail over all the sons of the earth. God will forgive them and they shall see his salvation because they took refuge in his holy name. Oh. Lucky boys, it just so happened that the only way for them to inherit the new earth and the new dispensation that they're promising is if you were part of their cult. Wow. Golly, you know, if they're right, we're hosed. But I'm pretty happy that they're not. Now let's move on to the statutes. The statutes, meaning 
you know, more of their habit of adding to the commandments of God. He shall not swear by the name, nor by Aleph or La and Lamed, Elohim, or nor by Aleph and Daleth, Adonai, but a binding oath by the curses of the covenant. He shall not mention the law of Moses, for were he to swear and then break his oath, he would profane the name. But if he has sworn an oath by the curses of the covenant before the judges and has transgressed it, then he is guilty and shall confess and make restitution, but he shall not be burdened with a capital sin. And all those who have entered the covenant, granted to all Israel forever, shall make their children who have reached the age of enrollment swear with the oath of the covenant. And thus shall it be during all the age of wickedness for any man who repents of his corrupted way. On that day, when he speaks to the guardian of the congregation, they shall enroll him with the oath of the covenant which Moses made with Israel, the covenant to return to the law of Moses with a whole heart and soul, to whatever is found should be done at that time. No man shall make known the statutes to him until he has stood before the guardian, lest while examining him the guardian should be deceived by him. But if he transgresses after swearing to return to the law of Moses with a whole heart and soul, they, the members, shall be innocent should he transgress. And should he err in any matter that is revealed of the law to the multitude of the camp, the guardian shall instruct him and shall issue directions concerning him. He should study for a full year. And according to his, the guardian's knowledge, no madman or lunatic shall enter, no simpleton or fool, no blind man or maimed or lame or deaf man and no minor. None of these shall enter into the community for the angels of holiness are in their midst. Interesting point here, no minor. You have to reach that age of enrollment, the age of accountability. Now, it's Baptists take a little bit from this. I don't think they do so um, wittingly. In the law of Moses, your entrance into the covenant of God was your circumcision. And you were counted as just being a part of it if you were a woman. Because, you know, your father and your grandfathers or your husband endorsed you as being part of the covenant. So, with that though, Baptists think that's a little bit too much like infant baptism. Because St. Paul says in Colossians that as a matter of fact, no, baptism is the new circumcision. So they want to instead say, well, listen, um, children are God's people kind of automatically until they reach this age of accountability in which they can be uh, damned or saved based on their faith or lack thereof. Meaning, um, well, golly, we really don't want to say it's baptism because that's a little too Catholic. It's just a little too Catholic for our tastes. So um, age of accountability and nobody can agree on what it is. As for me, I'm just going to go with, well, the Bible says baptism, so let's just do baptism. But continuing on. For God made a covenant with you and all Israel, therefore a man shall bind himself by oath to return to the law of Moses, for in it all things are strictly defined. Oh, one moment, please. Sorry about that. Sometimes a train just rolls by the town, and you got to pause the recording real quick. But, uh... The interesting thing is, so modern-day Baptists don't want to be too Catholic, so they reject baptismal regeneration. These guys out here in Damascus, writing the Damascus document, really, 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 really want everything to be by a solemn oath. And if it's by circumcision, making you a part of God's people, well, that kind of nullifies the show of hyper-faithfulness that they want. Uh, the same way Baptists today want a public declaration of faith. In a sense, while the uh, 
Qumran community is very much a hyper-Papist slash hyper-Orthodox slash hyper-Calvinist movement. There's also this kind of hyper-Baptist idea that, oh, if you really want to be in the covenant, you need to make a public display of faith, as the Baptists have determined that's the meaning of baptism. Uh, in all honesty, guys, just, just be baptized. Just rejoice in your baptism, okay? Anyway, uh, as for the exact determination of their times to which Israel turns a blind eye, behold, it is strictly defined in the book of the divisions of the times into their jubilees and weeks. And on the day that a man swears to return to the law of Moses, the angel of persecutions shall cease to follow him, provided that he fulfills his word. For this reason, Abraham circumcised himself on the day that he knew. And concerning this saying, you shall keep your vow by fulfilling it, Deuteronomy 23, 24, let no man, even at the price of death, annul any binding oath by which he has sworn to keep a commandment of the law. But even at the price of death, a man shall fulfill no vow by which he has sworn to depart from the law. Concerning the oath of a woman, inasmuch as he said, it is for her husband to cancel her oath, Numbers 30, verse 9, no husband shall cancel an oath without knowing whether it should be kept or not. Should it be such as to lead to transgression of the covenant, he shall cancel it and shall not let it be kept. The rule for her father is likewise. Concerning the statute for free will offerings, no man shall vow to the altar anything unlawfully acquired. Also, no priest shall take from Israel anything unlawfully acquired, and no man shall consecrate the food of his house to God. For it is as he said, each hunts his brother with a net or votive offering. Uh, Micah 7 verse 2. Let no man consecrate. And if he has consecrated to God some of his own field, he who has made the vow shall be punished with one-sixth of his valuation money. I'm pausing here because there's fragmentary, you know, little rips and tears in the document. Every vow by which a man vows another to destruction, uh, compare Leviticus 27 verse 29, by the laws of the Gentiles shall himself be put to death. And concerning the saying, you shall not take vengeance on the children of your people, nor hear any rancor against them, Leviticus 29, 18. If any member of the covenant accuses his companion without first rebuking him before witnesses, if he denounces him in the heat of his anger or reports him to his elders to make him look contemptible, he is one that takes vengeance and bears rancor. Although it is expressly written, he takes vengeance upon his adversaries and bears rancor against his enemies, Nahum 1 verse 2. If he holds his peace towards him from one day to another and thereafter speaks of him in the heat of his anger, he testifies against himself concerning a capital matter because he has not fulfilled the commandment of God, which tells him, you shall rebuke your companion and not be burdened with sin because of him. Leviticus 29 verse 17. Concerning the oath with reference to that which he said, you shall not take the law into your own hands. First uh, Samuel 25 verse 26. Whoever causes another to swear in the field instead of before the judges or at their decree takes the law into his own hands. When anything is lost and it is not known who has stolen it from the property of the camp in which it was stolen, its owner shall pronounce a curse, and any man who on hearing it knows but does not tell shall himself be guilty. When anything is returned which is without an owner, whoever returns it shall confess to the priest, and apart from the ram of the sin offering it shall be his. And likewise, everything which is found but has no owner shall go to the priest, for the finder is ignorant of the rule concerning it. 
If no owners are discovered, they shall keep it. How convenient that they declare themselves more or less to be a priesthood and then say, oh, by the way, if you find something, uh, it's ours, unless it's proven to be somebody else's. Thanks. Every sin which a man commits against the law and which his companion witnesses, he being alone, if it, be a, if it is a capital matter, he shall report it to the guardian, rebuking him in his presence. And the guardian shall record it against him in case he should commit it again before one man and he should report it to the guardian once more. Should he repeat it and be caught in the act before one man, his case shall be complete. And if there are two witnesses, each testifying to a different matter, the man shall be excluded from the pure meal provided that they are trustworthy um, and each informs the guardian on the day that they witnessed the offense. In matters of property, they shall accept two trustworthy witnesses and shall exclude the culprit from the pure meal on the word of one witness alone. Very interesting that they, uh, they're not willing to kill people. Mm, wait, though. Are they not willing to kill people for capital offenses? Let's keep reading. No judge shall pass sentence of death on the testimony of a witness who has not yet attained the age of enrollment and who is not God-fearing. No man who has willfully transgressed any commandment shall be declared a trustworthy witness against his companion until he is purified and able to return. So they're like, hey, hey, hey. Well, I mean, we can put people to death, but we got to do it by the book. Uh, not the Bible, our book. This is how we do witnesses. So if you do that, then maybe we can put somebody to death. Great, thanks. Good to know that if you were unfortunately a member of this uh, Damascus, Qumran area, um, you could get killed. But thankfully, <laughs> it's up to somebody else, you know, as, as long as they're the good guys. And this is the rule for the judges of the congregation. Ten shall be elected from the congregation for a definite time, four from the tribe of Levi and Aaron, and six from Israel. They shall be learned in the book of the meditation and in the constitutions of the covenant, in aged between twenty-five and sixty years. No man over the age of sixty shall hold office as judge of the congregation, <sighs> or because... Man sinned his day because man sinned, his days have been shortened, and in the heat of his anger against the inhabitants of the earth, God ordained that their understanding should depart even before their days are completed. And that's from a Jubilees. Uh, funny that they should say that. Oh, you're gonna get old and get dementia, so you can't make any decisions. I'm really glad Moses was over a hundred years old and he was still making decisions, but that don't count for you. Concerning purification by water. No man shall bathe in dirty water or in an amount too shallow to cover a man. He shall not purify himself with water contained in a vessel. And as for the water, if every rock pool too shallow to cover a man, if an unclean man touches it, he renders its water as unclean as water contained in a vessel. Concerning the Sabbath, to observe it according to its law. No man shall work on the sixth day from the moment when the sun's orb is distant by its own fullness from the gate wherein it sinks, for this is what he said, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Deuteronomy 5 verse 12. No man shall speak any vain or idle word on the Sabbath day. He shall make no loan to his companion. He shall make no decision in matters of money and grain. He shall say nothing about work or labor to be done on the morrow. See, pal, you don't even talk about work. You don't even say stuff that might approach work because if you say something vain or idle maybe that's kind of like a contrast between work and not work so you can't do that there guy you just just sit there for a whole 24 hours there bud 
No man shall walk in the field to do business on the Sabbath. He shall not walk more than 1,000 cubits beyond his town. No man shall eat on the Sabbath day except that which is already prepared. He shall eat nothing lying in the fields. He shall not drink except in the camp. If he is on a journey and goes down to bathe, he shall drink where he stands, but he shall not draw water into a vessel. He shall send out no stranger on his business on the Sabbath day, so um, no uh, Gentile fire lighters to keep him warm. No man shall wear soiled garments or garments brought to the store unless they have been washed with water or rubbed with incense. No man shall willingly mingle with others on the Sabbath. No man shall walk more than 2,000 cubits after a beast to pasture it outside his town. He shall not raise his hand to strike it with his fist. If it is stubborn, he shall not take it out of his house. No man shall take anything out of the house or bring anything in. And if he is in a booth, let him neither take anything out nor bring anything in. He shall not open a sealed vessel on the Sabbath. That's a little bit too much work to open that pickle jar. No man shall carry perfumes on himself whilst going and coming on the Sabbath. He shall lift neither stone nor dust in his dwelling. No man minding a child shall carry it whilst going and coming on the Sabbath. Don't carry that baby. Make that baby walk. We're all about not working on the Sabbath unless you're a baby. You better walk or crawl, baby. <laughs> this is stupid. You just say that this is really, really dumb. That instead of just generally resting on the Sabbath and rejoicing in that, uh, they get really into the rules. Sorry, I'm yawning left and right here. Uh, no man shall chide his manservant or maidservant or laborer on the Sabbath. No man shall assist a beast to give birth on the Sabbath day. And if it should fall into a cistern pit, he shall not lift it out on the Sabbath. No man shall spend the Sabbath in a place near to Gentiles on the Sabbath. No man shall profane the Sabbath for the sake of riches or gain on the Sabbath day, but should any man fall into water or fire, let him not be pulled out with the aid of a ladder or rope or some such utensil. Mm. So you gotta die if you fall into the fire on the Sabbath. Sorry, pal, or if you fall into the water. Nope. No aid given to you, man. You're just gonna have to drown there, buddy. Don't want to break the Sabbath. No man on the Sabbath shall offer anything on the altar except the Sabbath burnt offering. For it is written thus, except your Sabbath offerings. Uh, Leviticus 28 verse, sorry, 23 verse 38. No man shall send to the altar any burnt offering or cereal offering or incense or wood by the hand of one smitten with any uncleanness, permitting him thus to defile the altar. For it is written, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. <sighs> But the prayer of the just is an agreeable offering. Proverbs 15, verse 8. No man entering the house of worship shall come unclean and in need of washing. And at the sounding of the trumpets for assembly, he shall go there before or after the meeting and shall not cause the whole service to stop, for it is a holy service. No man shall lie with a woman in the city of the sanctuary to defile the city of the sanctuary with their uncleanness. Every man who preaches apostasy under the dominion of the spirits of Belial shall be judged according to the law relating to those possessed by a ghost or familiar spirit. Leviticus 20, verse 27. But no man who strays as to profane the Sabbath and the feast shall put, be put to death, shall fault the men to keep him in custody. And if he is healed of his error, they shall keep him in custody for seven years, and he shall afterwards approach the assembly. So you break any of these rules? You picked up your baby when you walked outside? Seven years dungeon, sir.
Seven years custody. How dare you pick up your baby when you fell? How dare you save your son's life when he fell into a well by tossing him a ladder or a rope? You should have just let him die in the name of the Sabbath. Holy moly. Holy moly, guys. This is, uh, this is taking a law and turning it into an idol. This is not worshiping God. This is worshiping a single law. Instead of, I mean, our Lord Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, man, not man for the Sabbath, you know. It's supposed to be a blessing unto you, but instead they've turned it into a massive curse. Goodness, you got to either die or let somebody die. You, you can't help your animal when it's giving birth. Just let that go awry and let everybody bleed out. Goodness. But it's fine if you do sacrifices. And it's totally fine if you do the work on the Sabbath of arresting a guy that broke the Sabbath. Perfectly fine, guys. Perfectly cool. Um, <clears throat> no man shall stretch out his hand to shed the blood of a Gentile for the sake of riches or gain. Nor shall he carry off any of theirs, lest they blaspheme, unless so advised by the company of Israel. Well, isn't that nice? So you can kill a Gentile to get their stuff, or you could steal from Gentiles if you're advised by the company of Israel. But if that peer pressure just isn't there, it's best just to not do so, right? So it's it's cool to just kill Gentiles? If your buddies say, yeah, dude, kill that Gentile. Take his stuff. Take his stuff. Come on, do it. Do it. Mm. Okay. Okay. So very anti-Gentile, this document. Thank you, Dead Sea Scrolls. Great document, right? Great collection of documents that I'm reading here. No man shall sell clean beasts or birds to the Gentiles, lest they offer them in sacrifice. He shall refuse with all his power to sell them anything from his granary or winepress, and he shall not sell them his manservant or maidservant, inasmuch as they have been brought by him into the covenant of Abraham. So a Gentile's coming to you, and he, he wants something to eat. Maybe he's starving. Maybe he's gone on a very long journey. You're in the desert, for crying out loud. And uh, no, nothing to drink, nothing to eat. Nope. You keep moving, Mr. Gentile. Maybe you'll get lucky and find some dirt to eat outside of the town. No man shall defile himself by eating any live creature or creeping thing from the larvae of bees to all creatures which creep in water. They shall eat no fish unless split alive and their blood poured out. And as for locusts, according to their various kinds, they shall plunge them alive into fire or water, for this is what their nature requires." All wood and stones and dust defiled by the impurity of a man shall be reckoned like men having defilement of oil on them. Whoever touches them shall be defiled by their defilement. And every nail or peg in the wall of a house in which a dead man lies shall become unclean as any working tool becomes unclean. The rule for the assembly of the towns of Israel shall be according to these precepts that they may distinguish between unclean and clean and discriminate between the holy and profane. And these are the precepts in which the master shall walk into his commerce with all the living in accordance with the statute proper to every age. And in accordance with this statute shall the seed of Israel walk and they shall not be cursed. This is the rule for the assembly of the camps. Those who follow these statutes in the age of wickedness until the coming of the Messiah of Aaron and Israel shall form groups of at least ten men by thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Exodus uh, 18 verse 25. And where the ten are, there shall never be lacking a priest learned in the book of meditation. They shall all be ruled by him. 
But should he not be experienced in these matters, whereas one of the Levites is experienced in them, then it shall be determined that all the members of the camp shall go and come according to the latter's word. But should there be a case of applying the law of leprosy to a man, then the priest shall come and shall stand in the camp, and the guardian shall instruct him in the exact interpretation of the law. Even if the priest is a simpleton, it is he who shall lock up the leper, for theirs is the judgment. This is the rule for the guardian of the camp. He shall instruct the congregation in the works of God. He shall cause them to consider his mighty deeds and shall recount all the happenings of eternity to them according to their explanation. He shall love them as a father loves his children and shall carry them in all their distress like a shepherd his sheep. He shall loosen all the fetters which bind them that in his congregation there may be none that are oppressed or broken. He shall examine every man entering his congregation with regard to his deeds, understanding, strength, ability, and possessions, and shall inscribe him in his place according to his rank in the lot of light. No member of the camp shall have authority to admit a man to the congregation against the decision of the guardian of the camp. No member of the covenant of God shall give or receive anything from the sons of dawn uh, or of the pit, except for payment. <laughs> you can't do any dealings with the sons of the pit, those evil sons of Balial there, unless they're paying you. Then it's okay. Uh... I get the feeling that they made up a lot of the stuff as they went along, don't you? Uh, let's keep reading, though. Maybe, maybe, maybe something redeems them in the end. No man shall form any association for buying and selling without informing the guardian of the camp and shall act on his advice, and they shall not go astray. Likewise, he who marries a woman, something advice. Likewise, he who divorces his wife, and he, the guardian, shall instruct their sons and their daughters in a spirit of humility and in loving kindness and shall not keep anger towards them. This is the rule for the assembly of the camps during all the age of wickedness. And whoever does not hold fast to these statutes shall not be fit to dwell in the land when the Messiah of Aaron and Israel shall come at the end of days. And these are the precepts in which the master shall walk in his commerce with all the living until God shall visit the earth. As he said, there shall come upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house days such as have not come since Ephraim departed from Judah, Isaiah 7, 17. But for whoever shall walk in these precepts, the covenant of God shall stand firm to save him from all the snares of the pit, whereas the foolish shall be punished. The rule for the assembly of all the camps. They shall be all be enrolled by name, first the priests, second the Levites, third the Israelites, and fourth the proselytes. And they shall be inscribed by name, one after the other, the priests first, the Levites second, the Israelites third, and the proselytes fourth. And thus shall they sit and thus be questioned on all matters. And the priest who is appointed to head the congregation shall be from thirty to sixty years old, learn in the book of meditation and in all the judgments of the law, so as to pronounce them correctly. I have no clue what the book of the meditation is. Hopefully it's included in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It may be a shorthand for the law, except that they say the law separately from the book of meditation. So we'll just have to stay tuned. The guardian of all the camps shall be from 30 to 50 years old, one who has mastered all the secrets of men and the languages of all their clans. Whoever enters the congregation shall do so according to his word, each in his rank. And whoever has anything to say with regard to any suit or judgment, let him say it to the guardian. This is the rule for the congregation by which it shall provide for all its needs. It shall place the earnings of at least two days out of every month into the hands of the guardian and the judges. And from it they shall give to the fatherless, and from it they shall succor the poor and the needy, the aged sick and the man who is stricken with disease, 
the captive taken by a foreign people, the virgin with no near kin, and the maid for whom no man cares. And this is the exact statement of the assembly. This is the exact statement of the statutes in which they shall walk until the coming of the Messiah of Aaron and Israel, who will pardon their iniquity. Whoever, whoever deliberately lies in a matter of property, something, and shall do penance for six days. Whoever slanders his companion or bears rancor unjustly shall do penance for one year. Goodness. All right, now we can do a little bit of cleanup now, because that's the end of the biggest copy of the Damascus document. But there is some uh, manuscripts from Cave 4 here in the Dead Sea Scrolls that maybe add a little bit. But at, before we continue, keep in mind, this is the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's a group of people who got together, mutilated the scripture, declared themselves Israel and the new priesthood, even though they had zero hereditary right to do so. And also just started saying, all right, Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath. You got to let people die on the Sabbath. Um, and by the way, we can put you in jail for seven years or kill you or do all this stuff. But if, you know, you got to be really nice. You can't kill a Gentile or steal from him unless, it, you know, your buddies come up and advise you because the advice of Israel can nullify the Ten Commandments. Sheesh. That's the frustrating thing about this is that there's so many commentators both Christian and non-Christian that think that this weirdo group had some sort of inside track some sort of amazing insight into stuff and really you just get a weirdo cult in the desert that uh, mangled the Bible and was totally willing to kill Gentiles well, okay I'm it's going to be fun to get to the more fantastical elements here uh, especially as the next document coming up next week is like the, the Messiah's rule or something like that that makes it sound like, okay, maybe, maybe we're getting some fresh ideas here on whatever it was that they were about to say. But until then, let's uh, finish up and read these uh, little scraps here uh, that are found in 4Q2668. Uh, that's uh, the fourth cave in Qumran, Damascus. So there's some vague prologues here that are no different from uh, the original Damascus document. And then we get to this fragment, which says, For the master to instruct the sons of light to keep away from the wake of, way of wickedness until the completion of the appointed time for the visitation of the spirit of injustice. God will destroy all her deeds, bringing destruction on the removers of boundaries, and he will inflict destruction on the assembly of wickedness. And now listen to me, and I will let you know the awesome designs of God and his marvelous mighty deeds. I will recount to you all that is concealed from man all the days of his life. Next fragment. Um, flesh and creature, until it comes to them, for they shall not be either early or late from their appointed times. He decreed an age of wrath for the people who did not know him, and he established appointed times of goodwill for those who search his commandments and walk in the perfection of way. And he revealed hidden things to their eyes and opened their ears so that they might hear deep secrets and understand all future things before they befall him. Listen now, all you who know righteousness. Sweet, flippin' psychic desert people. They, they just, they get that future vision. Uh, initiation rules. Uh, this fragment says that they may bring near each according to his spirit and deeds, dot, dot, dot. They shall depart by the decision of the guardian, dot, dot, dot. 
And these are the precepts in which all the converts of Israel shall walk, dot, 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 the sons of Zadok, the priests. Behold, they are the converts of Israel, uh, the interpretation of the last law. And these are the precepts for the master in which he shall walk in regard to all Israel, for God shall not save any of those who are not established in his ways to walk perfectly. So again, more of that weird cope that like, yeah, we're not exactly really descended from Levi, but we are priests and Levites because we're, uh, we're not part of that evil, ugly Hellenizer movement. And we're not part of those weirdo Pharisees and we're not those Sadducees out there. No, we're our own thing which is why we have new Levites that are better. <laughs> uh, continuing on, who uh, rules relating to the disqualification of priests. Ooh, this is a new one. Whoever speaks too fast or too quietly, uh, swift or light with his tongue, or the staccato voice and does not split his words to make his voice heard, no one from among these shall read the book of the law that he may not misguide someone in a capital matter. Any man from among the sons of Aaron who has been taken prisoner by the nations to defile him with their uncleanness, he shall not come close to the holy worship, dot, dot, dot. Let him not eat the most holy things, dot, dot, dot. Any son of Aaron who retreats to serve the nations, dot, 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 to teach his people the constitution of the people and also to betray, dot, dot, dot. Any son of Aaron whose name has been rejected from the truth, dot, 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 who has walked in the stubbornness of his heart, eating from the holy, dot, 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 from Israel, the council of the sons of Aaron, dot, 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 who eats, he shall become guilty of the blood, dot, 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 in genealogy. And this is the rule for dwelling of the towns of Israel, for the men of holiness that in their camps and in their towns and all. So there's a lot of dot, dot, dots, a lot of broken up fragments. But from what we've read thus far, are we really, are we really missing out much? This doesn't sound like stuff that would be hidden by that meanie emperor Constantine to keep Christians from getting the real truth, man. But diagnosis of skin disease is another uh, few um, fragments here from the uh, Damascus document. Uh, again, pretty fragmentary, dot, dot, dot. It starts with a dot, dot, dot. A discoloration or a scab or a bright spot ellipses and the scab resulting from a flow a blow by wood or stone or whatever blow when the spirit enters and seizes the artery and the blood recedes up and down in the artery dot 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 after the blood dot 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 and the priest shall observe the skin the living and the dead if the dead skin exceeds the living skin he shall lock him up until the blood returns to the artery until the flesh grows and the priest shall observe him and shall make a comparison on the seventh day. And if the spirit of life is moving up and down and the flesh grows, the plague is healed. Clean is the scab. The priest shall not observe the skin on the flesh. <clears throat> but if the discoloration or the scab is lower than the skin and the priest sees it as the appearance of living flesh, it is a leprosy, a skin disease, which has seized the living skin. And a similar rule concerning dot, dot, dot. The priest shall see on the seventh day. If some living flesh has become dead, the leprosy is malignant. And the law for the scab of the head or the beard, when the priest shall see that the spirit has entered the head and the beard, seizing the artery, and the plague spreads from under the hair and turns its appearance to fine yellow, for it is like a plant which has a worm under it and bites its root and makes its flower wither. And as for that which is said, and the priest shall order that they shave his head, but shall not shave the scab. Uh, Leviticus 13.33. This is an order that the priest may count the dead and live live hair. 
and he will see whether everything has been added, anything has been added from the live to the dead hair during the seven days. If there has, he is unclean. But if nothing has been added from the live hair to the dead, and the artery is filled with blood, and the spirit of life goes up and down in it, this plague is cured. And this is the rule of the law of leprosy for the sons of Aaron to set apart. And the law concerning a man with a flux. Any man with a flux issuing from his flesh, or one that causes a lewd thought to arise, or dot dot dot, the woman dot dot dot, the man who approaches her will have the sin of menstrual uncleanness on him. And if he sees, if she sees blood again, and this is not during the uncleanness of seven days, she shall not eat sacred food and shall not enter the sanctuary until the sun has set on the eighth day. Vakat. And a woman who conceives and bears a male child shall be unclean for seven days, like in her menstrual days. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall continue for thirty-three days in the blood of her purifying, but if she bears a female child, she shall be unclean for a fortnight as in her menstruation. For sixty-six days she shall continue in her blood of purifying, Leviticus 12, verses 2 through 5. And she shall not eat sacred food, and shall not enter the sanctuary, for it is a capital crime. Let her give the child to a wet nurse who is in the state of purity. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take a turtle dove or a young pigeon, and she shall substitute it for the lamb, Leviticus 12, verse 8. Her rules Concerning gleanings and agricultural priestly dues. Concerning gleanings of grain and the gleanings of grapes from the vineyard, a cluster is up to ten berries. And all the gleanings of grain up to a seya, measure of capacity that's about uh, 12 liters there, per bet seya, an area requiring one seya of seed for sowing, dot dot dot. And a field which produces no seed is not subject to a levy of terumah, or offering, or of fallen grapes, or of clusters up to ten berries. And for the harvest of olives, and the fruit of its produce, if it is complete, isolated olives are one in thirty. But if the field was ravaged, or consumed by burning, um, dot, 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 next fragment here, should the amount remaining be a sia per bet sia, it is to be tithed. If one person gleans one seah from it one day, the teramah will be one isaron, or 30% of a seah. Concerning the two loaves of the teramah, all the families, or houses of Israel, those who eat the bread of the land, are to offer the teramah once a year. Uh, compare Numbers 15, 19, and 20, and Leviticus 23, 17. One loaf shall be one isaron. You know, isn't it kind of messed up that they're taxing gleaners? telling people who glean for a living, which, biblically speaking, that's very poor. You're impoverished. Your livelihood is walking around getting food off the ground so you and your family can eat. That's saying that you doing that is to be taxed and tithed and everything like that is a little harsh. Not just a little, really harsh. Continuing on, though, I mean, these guys are pure, don't you know? They're very, very pure and very law-abiding, right? All sacred offerings from the planting of vineyards and all fruit trees producing food shall belong to them, the priests, as is decreed for them in the holy land and in the land of their sojourn. And afterwards they may sell of them to buy a man, may plant in the fourth year, he may not eat of it, for they sanctified it in that year. Dot, dot, dot. He shall take off from the grain of the threshing floor one-tenth of a homer, that's about 220 liters, that is one ephah, or bath 22 liters as is established the ephah and the bath are both the same measure and from 
the wheat one-sixth of an ephah out of a homer and one-tenth of a bath for the fruit of trees. Let no one separate himself from the norm of one out of 200. Compare Ezekiel um, 45, verse 15. By offering one lamb out of a hundred. Let no man eat from the threshing floor and from the garden before the priests have stretched out their hand to bless first. Dot, dot, dot. A house belonging to a man he may sell and with. Dot, dot, dot. He shall be innocent. Dot, dot, dot. Let no man bring dot, dot, dot to his pure food. Neither shall he bring, clo bring close to his pure food any gold or silver or copper or tin or lead from which the nations have made idols except new metal coming straight from the furnace. Let no man bring any leather or garment or any vessel which is used for work and which has been defiled by the corpse of a man unless they were sprinkled according to the law of purity with the water for uncleanness in the age of wickedness by a man pure of all uncleanness who has allowed the sun to set, i.e. the one who after bathing himself did not proceed until after sunset. No young man who has not yet raged the age to pass the muster shall sprinkle dot dot dot. Whew. Now on to the penal code and the renewal of the covenant ritual. Uh, we continue from, uh, and this is 4Q266 and 270. He shall be excluded for 200 days and do penance for 100 days. But if it was a capital matter and he bears a grudge, he shall not return again. And whoever has insulted his companion without a reason shall be excluded for one year to do penance for six months. Whoever has spoken a foolish word shall do penance for 20 days and will be excluded for three months. And whoever interrupts the words of his companion and lets himself go will do penance for 10 days. And whoever lies down and falls asleep at the meeting of the congregation shall be excluded for 30 days and do penance for 10 days. And likewise, whoever is left without the consent of the congregation and gratuitously as many as three times in one session, he shall do penance for 10 days. But if he has left the session when they were standing, he shall do penance for 30 days. And whoever has walked naked before his companion, whether he has walked in the house or in the field, he has walked naked before the people. He shall be excluded for six months. No public nudity. Sorry, Germans. And whoever has drawn his hand from under his garment, and he was so poorly dressed that his nakedness was seen, he shall be separated for 30 days and shall do penance for 10 and whoever is guffawed foolishly making his voice heard shall be excluded for 30 days and shall do penance for 15 days. And whoever has drawn out his left hand to gesticulate with it shall do penance for 10 days. And whoever has gone slandering his companion, they shall exclude him from the purity for one year. So as you can tell, there's a lot of crossover here between the community rule of Qumran that we read last week and the Damascus document um, as these little additions are made to it through these fragments. Um, if the Qumran community was different from this Damascus community, if that is the case, then I would say they were taking notes together. Kind of obvious. But we continue on. And shall do penance for six months. But whoever has slandered the congregation shall be expelled and shall not return again. If he has murmured against his companion unjustly, he shall do penance for six months. And the man whose spirit has so trembled before the authority of the community that he has betrayed the truth and walked in the stubbornness of his heart, he shall be excluded for two years and do penance for sixty days. When his two years are completed, the congregation shall consider his case, and if he is admitted, he shall be inscribed in his rank and may then question about the law. And whoever has despised the law of the congregation shall leave and shall not return again. 
And whoever has taken his food from another person outside the rules, he shall return it to the man from whom he has taken it vacat. And whoever has approached his wife, not according to the rules, thus fornicating, he shall leave and will not return again. Approaching your wife, not according to the rules, fornicating? I don't think God has that kind of rule in the law. I'm of the opinion that um, there is no law with regards to how you do the dirty with your wife here. That's an institution, marriage, that is separate from the church, connected. But the church really shouldn't tell you what you and your wife are doing in the bedroom there. The marriage bed itself is holy, according to Hebrews 13. But, um, you know, hyper-law guy is going to hyper-law. Claiming that it doesn't count as married sex if you do it wrong <laughs> is uh, some excruciating uh, purity spiraling, even for the, the Pharisees. But we continue on. If he has murmured against the fathers, he shall leave and shall not return again. But if he has murmured against the mothers, he shall do penance for ten days. For the mothers have no ruchma, a distinction within the congregation, vakat. And these are the rules in which they shall walk all those who have been corrected. Whoever comes to report someone to the priest overseeing, we move on to the next fragment, the congregation, he shall willingly accept his judgment, as he is ordered by the hand of Moses regarding the soul that sins by inadvertence that he shall bring his sin offering and his guilt offering. And concerning Israel, it is written, I will go to the ends of heaven and will not smell the smell of your sweet odor. Leviticus 26, verse 31. And in another passage, it is written, To return to God with crying and fasting. Joel 2, 13. And in another passage, it is written, Rend your heart and not your garment. And it is written, To return to God with fasting and weeping. Joel 2, 12. And whoever rejects these rules, which follow all the precepts found in the law of Moses, shall not be counted with all the sons of his truth. For his soul has detested the righteous corrections. As a rebel, he shall be dismissed from the congregation. The priest overseeing the congregation shall speak about him, answering, he shall say, Blessed art thou, Lord of the universe, everything is in thine hands, and thou art the maker of everything. Thou hast founded the peoples according to their families and the languages of their nations. Thou hast made them err in confusion without a way. And thou hast chosen our fathers and hast given to their seed the precepts of thy truth and thine holy judgments by which a man, if he practices them, shall live. And thou hast established boundaries for us and cursed those who transgress them. And we are the people of thy redemption and the flock of thy pasture. Thou hast cursed those who transgress it, the boundary. Uh, but we maintain it, and the dismissed man shall leave, and Whoever eats from what is his and greets, literally inquires about the welfare, you know, shalom of that person. The man who has been dismissed and agrees with him, his case shall be recorded by the guardian according to the decree and his judgment shall be complete. And all the inhabitants of the camps shall assemble in the third month and shall curse him who turns aside to the right or to the left from the law. In this, the foregoing is the interpretation of the laws which they shall observe in all the age of visitation which will be visited on them during all the age of wrath and in their marches for all those who dwell in their camps and all their towns. Behold, all this is according to the last interpretation of the law. Now, there's a, uh, after this is a hybrid fragment, a fragment that seems to combine stuff from the community rule in the Damascus document. So this is 4Q265. Um, let me see here. Got to turn the page. And let's start reading. Are you having fun with this? I know I am. I mean, 
in all honesty, this is kind of fun. Just looking at this and going, my goodness, we have missed the boat and how we ought to really estimate these documents. But fragment one says, as it is written in the book of dot, 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 as it is written in the book of Isaiah, the prophet, sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth in singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in travail. For the sons of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, Isaiah um, 54, 1 and 2. Uh, its interpretation concerns dot, dot, dot. Fragment 3, dot, dot, dot. Why does a man betray his brother, dot, dot, dot. Let no young man or woman eat the sacrifice of Passover, dot, dot, dot. Fragment 4, dot, dot, dot. And he shall be punished for ten days, dot, dot, dot. And he shall be punished thirty days, dot, dot, dot. And he shall be punished during that time with the half of his food for fifteen days, dot, dot, dot. And he shall be punished for three months with half of his food. The man who speaks before his fellow inscribed before him shall be excluded from purity for six months and insults his fellow, dot, dot, dot. And the man who insults his fellow, dot, 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 sorry, shall be punished for thirty days, vakat. And the man who knowingly deceives shall be separated for six months and shall be punished during that time with half of his food. And the man who lies knowingly in any matter shall be punished for 30 days, dot, dot, dot. And the man who lies concerning property knowingly, they shall exclude him for six months. And the man who lies down, dot, 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 and falls asleep during a session of the congregation shall be punished for 30 days. And if, dot, 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 to read from the book, he falls asleep up to three times, and if he goes out, he shall be punished for ten days. And the man who comes to join the council of the community, the guardian of the congregation, shall examine him. If it falls to him, he shall instruct him for one year. And after he shall stand before the congregation, and they shall deliberate over him. If he is not found fit for the discipline, uh, he shall depart. If he is to enter, the guardian shall teach him the interpretation of the law. He shall not touch the pure meal of the congregation another full year. And on completing his year, they shall hand over his property to the guardian of the congregation, dot, 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 when he comes, dot, dot, dot. They'll be punishing in Qumran when he comes. They love punishing every guy in Qumran. They'll be punishing, punishing, punishing. They'll be punishing, punishing, punishing. They'll be punishing with 10 or 30 or 60 days with half your food. Fragment 6 writes, on Sabbath day, let no man wear soiled garments. No man shall be dressed in garments on which there is dust or dot, dot, dot. On the Sabbath day, wear your Sabbath best. No man shall take out of his tent a vessel and food on the Sabbath day. No man shall lift an animal which has fallen into water on the Sabbath day. But if a man falls into water on the Sabbath day, he shall pass to him his garment to lift him out. But he shall not carry an instrument to lift him out on the Sabbath day. Ah, so looks like a few people died and they changed the rule. No saving people whatsoever to, well, you can use your garment as a rope. Because if you use a rope to help pull somebody out of a well or out of a fire, that's work. But if you use your cloak to help pull somebody out of a well or a fire, that's not work. We're smart, you see. And if the army, dot, dot, dot 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 on the sabbath day and let no dot 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 let no man of the seed of aaron sprinkle purifying waters on the sabbath day dot 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 and with a beast he shall walk two thousand cubits on the sabbath day every beast with a defect in it shall be kept at a distance of thirty stadia from the city of the sanctuary dot 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 when there shall be in the council of the community fifteen men perfectly versed on all that is revealed of the law and the prophets the council of the community shall be established in truth 
They shall be witnesses to the truth at the judgment and elect of goodwill. They shall be an agreeable offering, atoning on behalf of the land for all iniquity. Dot, dot, dot. He shall terminate the ages of injustice. Fragment 7. Dot, dot, dot. On the day of Sabbath. Dot, dot, dot. On the day of Sabbath. Dot, dot, dot. Yes, it repeats itself. No man from the seed of Aaron shall sprinkle water of purification. Dot, dot, dot. They shall not bathe or wash their garments on the great day and fast on the day of atonement. He who goes outside his town to graze the animal may go to a distance of 2,000 cubits. No man shall eat a blemished animal within 30 stadia uh, from the sanctuary. When there shall be in the council of the community 15 men, as God has said through his servants, the prophets, the council of the community shall be established in truth as an everlasting plantation, witnesses of truth and elect of goodwill, sweet fragrances to atone for the land, dot, dot, dot. The age of the ages of injustice will end by the judgment and the dot 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 vakat. In the first week, Adam was created dot 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 until he was not brought to the Garden of Eden, and a bone from his bones was taken to become the woman dot dot dot. But she Eve had no name until she was not brought to him, Adam dot dot dot. For holy is a garden of Eden, and every fresh shoot that is in it is holy, as it is written, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days, as at the time of her menstruation. She shall be unclean, then she shall continue for thirty-three days in the blood of her purifying. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for sixty-six days. Leviticus 12.5 She shall not touch any hallowed things, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are ended. And that is the Damascus document plus Damascus document fragments. My goodness, I'm glad that's over. I don't know how they're connecting Adam and Eve to uh, Levitical purification laws for birth, but let's just go with it and wait till next week where we get to cover the messianic rule. Now, I promise you, eventually we get rid, we get over all these rules here. We read all those documents and then we get to do some more of the cool and fun stuff. But until then, I love you all. Amen and amen.